This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. I need to apologize, dear listener, for the fact that things have been so busy lately that, uh, well, we've had to change today's show just a bit. We we're going to hear from some old friends uh, about uh, our upcoming anniversary, but we're going to just put that off, I think, till next week's program, which will mark Radio Parallax's 500th show. For show number 500, we're going to hear from some old friends, and we're going to take a look back at some of our more... Uh, Entertaining and informative moments, shall we say. But as mentioned on this show, over the last couple of weeks, I've been battling with files, the old files amassed for this very program. And I must say, getting them fully organized and in order is something I think like climbing Mount Everest. Currently, I'm somewhere between the base camp and camp three, I think. The air is getting thin. We're not quite in the death zone yet. But owing to this monumental organizational problem, coupled with the fact that I do have a full-time job, both running my own medical clinic and hiring myself out to work in urgent care, well, those two responsibilities, coupled with the fact that we're trying to produce a, shall we say, nationally syndicatable weekly radio program, well, lump those things together with the file battle, and today's show is just going to have to be a look back. Not just at what's been in the news this past week, but also some of the things that have been popping out of, uh, of our collection of materials that date back almost a decade. Before we're done, I do expect to continue uh, our discussion started last week about local radio antics. But that isn't exactly freshness dated, so if we don't finish that discussion today, it can also be put off. But at any rate, let us begin today's program, as we like to do with On This Date in History. The date in question for Radio Parallax show number 499 would be January the 12th. It was on January 12th in 1820 that Britain's Royal Astronomical Society was founded. And speaking of astronomy, the week after next, we, we will be bringing you Bob Berman, popular astronomy columnist and author of the recent book, The Sun's Heartbeat. As a great writer and radio show host... We know you're going to enjoy that talk. On January 12th in 1926, the radio program Sam and Henry debuted on WGN Radio in Chicago. The show, featuring white performers Freeman Godson and Charles Carell, portrayed two black characters from Harlem looking for extra money during the Great Depression. The show later changed its name to Amos and Andy and became the highest rated comedy in radio history. The show also enjoyed a successful run as a television program. The NAACP protested both the radio and TV series for promoting racial stereotypes, and eventually the show was yanked from the air in 1968, I believe. Those of us old enough to remember the television program would point out to listeners that the only time we saw black doctors, lawyers, and professionals on television in the 1960s was on Amos and Andy. On both the radio and television program, the writing was excellent, the acting excellent as well, and the comedy in general, superb. In this correspondent's opinions, in this correspondent's opinion, you're gonna see more harmful racial stereotypes watching black entertainment television than you would on an old rerun of Amos and Andy. 
And I would add that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. But I do want to note, with a certain amount of pride, that uh, about a year or so ago, I was listening to KDVS one night, and someone was playing an old rerun of Amos and Andy. I was enormously pleased to see that someone was willing to go up against those who would take the road of political correctness and say that this should not be aired. I do think that people looking back from the future at the early days of television will note that uh, back in the 1950s, there were a few truly memorable characters, such as Jackie Gleason's Ralph Cramden, Phil Silvers's Sergeant Ernest Bilko, and Tim Moore. Maybe the best of all, as George Kingfish Stevens. My recommendation to you is that you Check it out sometime if you never have. All right. On January 12th in 1954, U.S. Secretary of State John Foster Dulles announced the United States will protect its allies through, quote, deterrent of massive retaliatory power, unquote. The policy was a signal the Eisenhower administration would rely on the nation's nuclear arsenal for defense against any communist aggression. In this date in 1976, the great English mystery writer Dame Agatha Christie passed away at age 85. Here's one I frankly can't resist. On January 12th, 1984, construction workers restoring the Great Pyramid in Egypt stopped using wet concrete, which caused limestone blocks to split. Instead, they adopted a system of interlocking blocks, the system used by the original builders of the pyramid. Turned out, that one works. If only politicians in Egypt had realized that the flooding of the Nile also has been working for 5,000 years and maybe building the high dam at Aswan wouldn't be such a great idea, but that's a topic for another show. All right, final item. January 12, 1996, troops from Russia and the United States arrived in Bosnia to help with peacekeeping in what was the two countries' first joint military action since World War II. And well, yeah, we have to say that... Uh, Probably a good thing when we're fighting on the same side as the Russians. That, that worked out pretty well in World War II. Whereas in the Cold War, working against them, ah, didn't, didn't pan out quite as well. All right, we've had some primaries and caucuses and political nonsense floating around the country the last few weeks. So our quote of the day comes from Conan O'Brien from, I guess it was about a week ago, when he said, Michelle Bachman pulled out of the presidential race. In her concession speech, Bachman said, I mean what I say. Then she thanked her speechwriter, Popeye. We have strong to the finish, cause I eat me spinach. I'm Popeye the sailor. Our quip of the day, also about two weeks old now, comes from Jay Leno, who said, I have a New Year's resolution. This is absolutely the last year I buy another one of those Mayan calendars, okay? And our joke of the day, also getting a little bit old, comes from David Letterman, who said a couple weeks back, there's already controversy with the Iowa caucuses. About a half hour ago, they found eight more votes for Al Gore. And from the files, we have this quote. I guess this is a couple years old by now. Apparently, uh, when former Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez announced that he was writing a memoir about his tenure in the Bush administration, he said, quote, I consider myself a casualty, one of the many casualties of the war on terror, unquote. Yes, uh, 
former Attorney General Gonzalez, you just have, your heart has to go out to the guy. Because, you know, it is hard work ordering up all that waterboarding. And by the way, we hope someone last night called former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice on the massive number of lies she was a part of in the ramp-up to the war in Iraq. No, I'm, I'm sorry. The idea that it was bad intelligence that led to our misadventures in Iraq, I'm sorry, that one just doesn't fly. Wouldn't you agree, Mr. McMillan? All right, our stats today are a little bit long in the tooth, but uh, also worth a look. This one comes from 103108. Remember October of 08, right about the time things were going south in the economy? Well, at that time, abcnews.com noted that the year before, in 2007, Wall Street's five biggest firms, those would be Bear Stearns, Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, Merrill Lynch, and Morgan Stanley, paid out $39 billion, that's with a B, $39 billion in employee bonuses. Those keeping track might note that during the same period, the shareholders of these firms lost $74 billion. Yeah, with a B, $74 billion. Naturally, these firms would want to pay out bonuses for such a job well done, wouldn't you think? Makes sense to us. And here's one, frankly, we don't believe, but I'm, I'm going to repeat it anyway. According to the National Endowment for the Arts from January two years ago, for the first time in 25 years, more Americans are reading literature, noting that 50% of adults say they read novels, short stories, plays, or poems, up 3.5% since 2002. We hope this is true, but frankly, have our doubts. All right, from the letters to the editor section, we're going to actually not use one written to us, but one written to Sky and Telescope magazine, oddly enough. The letter is as follows. I can't see much of the night sky here due to the paradoxically bright lights in this otherwise gloomy place. But you've brightened my time with Sky and Telescope. I look forward to studying our universe a lot more once I can find my ideal dark sky location with a small cabin and an old dog. Thank you. That was written by Thomas Darby from Corcoran State Prison in California. <laughs> we can't resist this public pronouncement. According to New Scientist magazine from pharmacologist David Colquhoun of the University College in London, who commented in the medical journal BMJ the following in the wake of UK authorities deciding to license homeopathic treatments for bruises. Said the pharmacologist, if you sold strawberry jam that contained not a trace of strawberry, you'd be in trouble. And yes, dear listener, as per our previous conversation on this program with Simon Singh about his book, Trick or Treatment, homeopathic cures available on most pharmacy shelves, in fact, contain no active ingredients. The supposed beneficial compounds are diluted until virtually none of the original material is left. Therefore, it is my recommendation to you as a medical professional that if you have an illness of any kind, give the homeopathic remedies a pass. Unless, of course, you think that your next peanut butter and jelly sandwich would do fine using strawberry jam that contained absolutely no strawberries. 
If that's okay with you, go for it with those homeopathic drugs. And here's an item I was thinking of passing, but I guess I'll reintroduce it here. It doesn't truly reflect reality, but it's such a good quip, we'll use it anyway. Said Craig Ferguson, about six months into the current administration, I think everybody should just calm down. Give Obama four years. See what he can do. Then, if he's a miserable failure, we'll do what we did with George W. Bush and elect him to a second term. And yes, of course, yesterday with the 10th anniversary of Guantanamo, efforts were being made across the country to commemorate this and remind the Obama administration that although President Obama declared he would have Guantanamo closed within one year of the second day of his administration, it's still open for business. We'd also uh, find this may be a good time to quote from an article by Kim Geiger, Chicago Tribune, reprinted in the Sacramento Bee, noting that scientists and inspectors at the federal agencies responsible for food safety say they face political and corporate interference with their work, according to a survey released by the Union of Concerned Scientists. The survey suggests a continuation of problems that government scientists had complained about during the George W. Bush administration, despite Obama administration pledges not to let politics intrude on scientific conclusions. And it comes more than a year after the administration promised to issue new rules to protect scientific integrity. Obama, he's not quite as bad as W. And there's a ringing endorsement, isn't it? And speaking of endorsements, this pains me slightly, but I cannot award the Mythbusters uh, a ringing endorsement. Love the show, by the way. Do love the show, Mythbusters, uh, on uh, the Discovery Channel. But Jamie Heineman and Adam Savage took their show on the road, came to Sacramento last Monday. I was in the audience, and although I enjoyed myself, as did the entire crowd, when you thought about it afterwards... You had to admit to yourself that there really wasn't much there. The boys relied heavily upon audience participation, and there was quite a bit of uh, enthusiastic uh, uh, desire to participate up on stage by the audience. But, you know, inviting two fit guys up to pedal bicycles that pumped water, that filled balloons, that expanded the balloons, that then popped on arrows perched above the guys so that water doused them, what is that? You're not myth-busting. You are giving a demonstration, I guess, of water pumps. You do have the goofball aspect of water dousing the guys up on stage. But what is that? Another point, the boys uh, talked about um, paintballs, shooting each other with paintballs. And make no mistake, these guys are uh, these guys are very entertaining in their nerdy scientific way, which is frankly what we love about them. But uh, Adam at one point was talking about how they decided to shoot each other with paintballs and see how they could tolerate pain. Jamie uh, (laughs) advised Adam that he was going to shoot him in the same spot each time, which he then proceeded to do. And (laughs) since the same spot hurt more than being shot in different spots, he won that competition. Expanding upon this curious premise, the boys then brought up an audience member to wear a suit of armor to be then put in front of a blast shield, at which point they would shoot him with a machine gun that that shot paintballs. Which, I guess, demonstrates that a suit of armor is good protection against paintballs. (laughs) What else it demonstrates? Well, I'm just not sure. 
I mean, they, they did explain that if you lay on a bed of nails, that a lot of nails pressing up into you distributes the weight. Therefore, you can put a brick on your chest and with a sledgehammer break it, which Jamie did while Adam was laying on the bed of nails, which does inspire us at some point to break a cinder block on our chest with a sledgehammer. I think a lot of Mrs. McMillan wield the sledgehammer, and sometime before the year's out, we will plan to put that on our website to demonstrate, well, nothing except that it can be done. There was one, there was one part of the show I did genuinely enjoy. Um, Adam Savage gave a big song and dance about how there is a guy out there who claims he can pluck arrows from the air, and they busted that myth that you can even see, let alone pluck an arrow out of the air. So up on stage, they loaded a crossbow. Jamie pointed at the target, and Adam said, all we got to do is get the timing down. Just If I can just reach out, swoop my hand, I can grab the arrow out of the air as just a timing thing. So Jamie Heideman fires off the crossbow, and instead of hitting the bullseye, he hits the target high and to the left, causing Adam to say, you know, you're supposed to hit the bullseye, Jamie. I mean, what if, you, what if, what if you're off the other direction? And like everyone else in the audience, I was suckered in by that premise. What if he isn't a very good shooter of crossbows? What if he doesn't time it right? Mayhem could ensue here. On the next trial, as Adam swept his hand through space, all of a sudden, whoa! You look up, he's got an arrow through the forearm. And I gotta admit, their acting was pretty good. He kind of went, oh my god. And then showed how it was a trick. They rigged up a fake arrow to pop out of the forearm. It was a fake arrow that popped out of the target. And no, they were not, in fact, stupid enough to try this on stage. I'm sure they'll take this show on the road again in the future. When they do, a little more, a little more inspiration from uh, magicians would probably make for a better program. And no, my slightly negative review has nothing to do with the fact that we tried to contact their publicist for an interview and were ignored. All right, and comparing old files to new files, uh, here's one that's kind of uh, 0 for 2. We had one from August 9th of 2003, noting that the World Health Organization was calling for a phasing out of the widespread and you'd say, I guess you'd say controversial use of antibiotic growth promoters in animal feed. We'd call it crazy. Back in 03, the WHO said that the move would help preserve the effectiveness of antibiotics for medicine. Hey, <laughs> there's an idea adding it can be done without significant expense or health consequences to farm animals. Well, just when you think progress is being made, we were sent uh, an email by Joseph last month, which I think we made passing mention of, noting that uh, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration announced Thursday, that would be before Christmas, its withdrawal of a decades-old proposal, decades-old proposal, I add for emphasis, to limit the use of antibiotics in animal feed, a move experts say could have dire implications for public health. Noted the piece by Lynn Peoples writing on the Huffington Post, experts warn the common and often unnecessary practice is decreasing the effectiveness of antibiotics in human medicine and increasing the deadly threat of methicillin-resistant staph aureus, MRSA, and other difficult-to-treat infections. Early last year, the National Resources Defense Council filed a lawsuit to compel the FDA to fulfill a commitment it made in 1977, 
when the agency first acknowledged the mounting public health threat posed by the use of antibiotics in healthy livestock for, quote, growth promotion, unquote, and disease prevention. It's hard to believe this when I'm reading this. A recommendation from an advisory committee at the time, again, 1977, addressed two major classes of antibiotics that are used in both human and animal medicine, penicillin and tetracycline. The FDA was told to, quote, immediately withdraw approval, unquote, for subtherapeutic uses of the drugs in livestock. Fast forward to December 2011. According to Thursday's FDA notice, Congress stepped in before the FDA could move forward with industry hearings, a necessary step before imposing a ban. They asked the agency to refrain from taking any action until there was more research on public health risks. The article quoted Steve Roach, Public Health Program Director for the advocacy group Food Animal Concerns Trust, saying the evidence was there way back in 1977. They made a political decision, and since then the FDA has failed to act. Reminded you on this show before that overall livestock receive an estimated 80% of our nation's antibiotics. The article also notes that the FDA, FDA now says it will move forward with voluntary guidance first issued back in 2010, which offers suggestions to industry rather than imposing a ban. You know, maybe the police forces of this nation can just, you know, suggest to people that they shouldn't commit armed robberies. Just a suggestion. And on that note, Mr. Merrill and I, I do think we need a break. I'm Douglas Abbott. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Stick around. we got plenty more. bananas we have no bananas today we got string beans and onions and big juicy lemons and all kinds of fruit and say we've got an old-fashioned tomato a long island potato oh yes we have no bananas 